Welcome to Truth Plus Grace. This is Chapter 2, Set Free, and my name is Tiffany Grayson. Today's world is heavy. Don't you agree, friend? The situations and obstacles that we're currently facing day in and day out are so, so heavy. Anxiety, as we learned in the last chapter, is the overwhelming feeling of apprehension, uneasiness, or nervousness that we experience when faced with unknown circumstances. With anxiety, we often question our ability to handle the situation we're facing. Depression, however, is the evil stepsister of anxiety. It's like a dark, heavy fog that comes over you, often without warning. It engulfs you before you can even realize it. It entangles you and drags you down mentally, emotionally, and often spiritually. And once you realize you've been sucked down that particular hole, you have to fight for your life to get out of it. If you research the word depression, you find many definitions. And if you're following along with notes, here comes some fill-in-the-blanks. Here are a few definitions that I can relate to. First, a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and a loss of interest. Sadness and a loss of interest. It's characterized by persistent sadness and lack of interest or pleasure in previously rewarding or enjoyable activities. Thirdly, it's an illness that involves the body, mood, and thoughts that affect the way a person eats, sleeps, feels about him or herself, and thinks about things. Oh, that last one. It really gets me. The truth is, many of us listening have experienced a form of depression at some point in our life. And as I previously stated, I'm not a doctor, therapist, or expert, but I do have some experience in this matter. Often, it is a single life event that causes our depression, or it becomes a catalyst towards a period of depression. An illness, job change, move, relationship problem, medical issue, etc., all these things can be life events that lead toward depression. Now, please note, sometimes depression is not situational, and it may be related to an ongoing medical issue. Professional medical assistance is often needed in these cases, and I strongly urge you to consult with a medical professional to determine a personal action plan if you are currently battling depression. This study will focus on situational depression, not clinical or medical depression. Now, no one is immune to depression, friend. It's universal. It fits all sizes and shapes. Depression doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't take into account your career, your education level, or your position in life. It doesn't have anything to do with your IQ, age, race, or religion. There is one thing I've learned having dealt with depression personally. You often feel so alone in the midst of it. You feel isolated, like you're in a deep, dark, dank cavern all by yourself on an island in the middle of the ocean. And whether or not that's true, that's how it feels. And so that is your reality. Your perception in that moment is your reality. Proverbs 12.25a says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. And I put that verse in your notes, friends, so that you would have it. Depression is not a new emotion or a new state of being. It is not a product of today's world. In fact, if you look back, you find people struggling with depression all throughout history, all throughout the Bible. King David dealt with it. Elijah, Jonah did, Job, and Moses. The list goes on and on. Let's take a moment to look at an example in the Bible. 
This time, we're going to journey into the Old Testament and step into the sandals of the Israelites. And that's your fill in the blank, friend. Israelites. Yes, I said the Israelites. A giant group of people who play a quiet yet primary role throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you a little background information for the purpose of this chapter. You've probably read about the Israelite nation in many of your favorite Old Testament stories. But who are they? And here's your fill in the blank. Who are they? To put it simply, they're God's people. They're God's people. They were the people who believed in God and followed God's commandments and instructions. They were the people who believed in God and followed God's commandments and instructions. We get our first glimpse when God called Abram, or Abraham as you might remember him, into ministry. And I put this in your notes, but in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God says this to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. In those verses, God told Abraham that if he would leave everything he had and follow God, that God would do so much for him. He would give him a new land. We know that as the promised land. He would make Abraham a great nation, which means he would give him a lot of descendants. He would bless Abraham. He would make his name great. And Abraham himself would be a blessing to many. These promises, and here's your fill-in-the-blank, friend, these promises are known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Over time, this covenant came to fruition, and the descendants of Abraham grew into the group we know as the Israelites, and that's your fill-in-the-blank, the Israelites. Now, approximately 400 or so years later, after the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph had all died, the descendants of Abraham had grown quite large. But the covenant still had not been fulfilled. And that's your fill in the blank. The covenant still had not been fulfilled. During that time, there's account after account of how the Israelites lived. I'm going to be honest here. It doesn't look that different from some of the circumstances that we live in today. There was family drama. There was sexual temptation. There was bitterness, compromise, total despair. And then... After the story of Joseph, there's a 280-year period of silence. That's a fill-in-the-blank. There's a 280-year period of silence in the Bible. As in, we don't have any accounts of what was happening during that time. So although we don't know all of the shenanigans that the Israelites were up to during this time, we do know this. The Israelite people group was growing even while they were living in Egypt. Our biggest update can be found in Exodus 1-7, and I put this in your notes, Exodus 1-7, and it says, But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Stop and think about that for a moment, friend. Exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. Israelites were everywhere in Egypt. And then, here comes your next fill-in-the-blank, we're introduced to the family of Moses. Moses. Now, Moses' family was from Goshen, Goshen, in the land of Egypt. And you may have heard of Moses' story or stories, as there are many different storylines to follow for him, but 
I want to give you a summary of what you need to know in order to continue with our point in this chapter. Number one, Moses was born to an Israelite or Hebrew, to Israelite and Hebrew parents during a time when Hebrew baby boys were to be put to death at birth. And that's your fill in the blank, to be put to death at birth. Moses' mother saved his life by giving him up for adoption, giving him up for adoption. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter. You may remember this story. And he grew up with all of the education and all of the privileges that were afforded Egyptian royalty. Out of fear, Moses fled to Midian, Midian, after killing an Egyptian man who's beating another Israelite or Hebrew man. Now, Moses married, we're on number five, Moses married and had two sons while living in Midian. And I've put a map in your notes, friends, so you can kind of see where Midian is. And um, number six, he witnessed a theophany at Horeb, which Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. So if you look at your map, you can see both Midian and then just go to the left of that, you will see Mount Sinai. And the theophany is a visible manifestation or appearance of God, friends. So that's kind of what that is. He saw God. He had a God moment. Number seven, God called him to ministry. Ministry is your fill in the blank while on that mountain. Wow. Okay, so let's find out more about that. Join me right now in reading Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10. Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10. And as a side note, I'll be primarily reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, And as I read, you're welcome to follow along or just sit back and listen. So we're in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10, and it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land to a land of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression from which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Friends, this is what God is saying in a vision to Moses, well, on that, on that mountain, Mount Sinai. He's saying, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you can bring my people out of Egypt. Okay, so lots to unpack here. Let's start with what God meant when he said that he had seen the affliction of his people. What exactly was God talking about? Well, at one point in time, which would have been about 300 or more years earlier, during the time of Joseph, the Israelites had been given royal permission to live and work in Egypt. Their ancestors had been forced from their heritage lands because of famine. But the Bible tells us that they were fruitful and multiplied while in Egypt as part of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, all these years later, the new Pharaoh believed that the rapid growth rate of this particular people group was a complete threat to his national security. He dealt harshly with them as a result of it and forced them into a life of slavery and oppression. Exodus 1, 13 and 14, and I put this in your notes. It says, And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously 
and they made their lives bitter with hard labor. In mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all of their labors, which they rigorously imposed upon them. In other words, life as an Israelite, and this is a fill in the blank, life as an Israelite became harsh, cruel, bitter, and oppressive. The people were suffering, and God could take it no more. Time to save his people. Can we identify with that, friend? Harsh, bitter, oppressive? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like depression? Sometimes life deals us a tough hand. Sometimes it's within our capability to handle it. Other times, it's not. Circumstances often determine our mindset, and our mindset often determines our actions. This time, Moses was not living in that oppression at the time, but he knew that his kinsmen were. Moses was living in Midian, and God was asking him to return to Egypt and address the Pharaoh. So look at your map. See how far away he was. Return to Egypt and address the Pharaoh. God told Moses, ask Pharaoh to let all the Israelite people, all of the Hebrew nation, ask them to ask Pharaoh to let them leave Egypt and return to their native land. <laughs> well, that sounds easy enough, right? No, mm-mm. Moses didn't think so. In fact, he was pretty sure God didn't have the right man for the job. But God knew exactly who he was talking to. He even called Moses by name. And he knew there would be objection. So he gave Moses the words to say and proof, in fact, two signs, that Moses would be delivering a message straight from God himself. Of course, Moses was grumbling and complaining and giving excuse after excuse why this, why he should not be the one for this particular job. But God had other plans, and he sent Moses on his way. Moses returned to Egypt, meeting his brother Aaron in the wilderness along the way. Together, the brothers went to speak with Pharaoh. Let's pick up our story in Exodus 5. We'll be reading in Exodus 5, verses 1 through 4. And it says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Please, Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Okay, friends, a couple things here. And here's some fill in the blanks for you. The phrase, let my people go. Let my people go. That is a command that will be heard over and over again throughout this study. The Egyptians rejected God, saying they didn't know him. In fact, the Egyptians, as a little side note, felt that they were a superior people to the Hebrews. And thirdly, verse 3 is the first warning of a divine judgment coming if Pharaoh resists. So let me be clear. Pharaoh was not impressed. Not only did he not let the Israelites go, but he increased the workload. The people became even more discouraged and more depressed. They asked Moses, why did you even come? 
Why did you make such a futile attempt to free them? I mean, just imagine it for a minute. Moses, a fellow Israelite, a fellow Hebrew man, he was raised as Egyptian royalty, and he comes back to Egypt. He says that he was sent by God himself to rescue you, your family, and all of your kinsmen. He says he has proof that God sent him. And he is fired up and ready to speak with the Pharaoh. It was probably quite inspiring. I mean, you'd start to believe that things were going to change, right? And not just anyone could get FaceTime with the Pharaoh. Keep that in mind. It's not like you could walk up off the street and have FaceTime with Pharaoh. But Moses knew what to do. And God paved the way. So soon enough, he was face to face with Pharaoh himself. But then Pharaoh didn't comply. He says he doesn't want to let his workforce go. Who would do all the work? That's what Pharaoh was likely wondering. Who would labor on his behalf? If he lets the Israelites leave, they'll become more successful than the Egyptians. Moses must be crazy to ask this. Who does he think he is? What? God sent you? Who is this God you speak of? Pharaoh doesn't know him. So now, Pharaoh's mad. And he's feeling threatened. And he figures he needs to make a power play. So he increased the workload of the Israelites. Moses walked out, deflated, dejected, and discouraged. But what do you think he did about it? Let's look. Exodus 5, 22 and 23 says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people. And you did not deliver your people at all. Moses was depressed. After all that the Israelites had been through, Moses felt like he had just made things worse. And to be fair, he had. Can we identify with that, friend? When we're in that low spot, when we're in the middle of the muck, struggling to keep our heads above the water, have you ever felt like something that you did just made things worse? No, I have. But God is so merciful. He may allow us to sit in the muck, but he comes and sits with us. In that moment, and here's your next fill in the blank, God took the time to reaffirm Moses. He took the time to reaffirm Moses. He reminded him of his covenant with Abraham and how great things were still to come. And he reminded Moses that he wasn't alone in this journey. God was with him. In Exodus 6, 1 through 8, and this is a fill in the blank, God told him, I will bring you, I will deliver you, and I will give it to you. Oh, I will bring you, I will deliver you, I will give it to you. In other words, God said, lean into me, Moses. I've got you. Oh, I love it. Friend, let me remind you, lean into God. He's got you too. But the Israelites, they were still upset. Exodus 6, 9 says, So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. So Moses went back to the Israelites and he said, listen, guys, don't lose hope. I've talked to God. He says he's still going to deliver us. He's got us. He's got us. But that verse tells us that the Israelites were so despondent. 
and because of their cruel bondage, their oppression that they felt. Despondency is another word for depression, despair, gloom, grief, sadness. Sound familiar? Have you ever tried to cheer up or encourage a friend when they just didn't have the ears to hear or the capability to absorb the sentiment at that time? Sometimes, when we're in the darkest of dark moments, we don't have the ability to open our hearts or our eyes to the light peeking in. Sometimes, we've been so physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually beaten down that we simply cannot comprehend that there is any good to be seen in that situation. And that's the way that Israelites felt at that time. Sometimes we're just depressed. But God still had a plan. God told Moses to go back and speak with Pharaoh again. And that's your fill in the blank. God told Moses to go back and speak with Pharaoh again. Moses was full of excuses once again on why this would not work. He claimed that he could not speak well enough to convey God's message. So God enlisted Aaron's help. Exodus 7, 1, and I put this in your notes. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Friend, have you ever given an excuse when something didn't go according to plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. In fact, sometimes we can get pretty creative on why things didn't go like we'd wanted. You know, those kinds of stories. I don't know about you, but I've heard some really creative ones, especially from my kids. But Moses claimed that he wasn't skilled enough in speech to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, remember when I told you that he was raised as a member of the Egyptian royal family? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that included um, education in multiple languages, literature, and phonics. So I wonder, who did he think he was kidding? Even if there was a speech impediment of any sort, God wasn't going to let something like that keep his people in captivity. He pulled Aaron further into the plan, calling him the mouth or the prophet of Moses. In other words, Aaron would speak on Moses' behalf. Now, side note here, friend, it's interesting to think that at this point in the story, Moses was approximately 80 years old, and Aaron would have been approximately 83 years old. If speech was an issue, it probably would have been noted before. But in this case, Moses was likely just anxious, overwhelmed, and looking for a way out. Seems pretty normal. So, Moses and Aaron requested time with Pharaoh again. Now, I find it interesting that Pharaoh continued to grant the time, don't you? Especially since the Bible is very clear that Pharaoh was not receptive to Moses and Aaron's request to let the Israelites go. In fact, it didn't seem to matter that they were prepared to provide proof of God's power. Because Exodus 7.13 tells us, and this is in your notes, Exodus 7.13 tells us, for the first of many times, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And that's what your fill-in-the-blank is. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He didn't have a heart to hear it. Moses and Aaron consulted with the Lord again, and God instructed them to go back to Pharaoh again. But this time they were to warn Pharaoh of the plagues to come if he refused to let God's people go. And guess what? Pharaoh refused again. Oh my goodness. You might remember how this story goes. Moses and Aaron kept going back to Pharaoh, requesting that he let the Israelites leave Egypt. And each time he refused, God caused a plague to engulf the Egyptians. Now I've put a chart in your notes 
covering Exodus 7 through 12, chapter 7 through 12. And I'm going to run through these quickly so you can make some side notes or some, some little markings on your chart. But first, when Pharaoh did not let the people go, first, all of the water in Egypt, including the Nile River, turned to blood. The fish died. The water smelled. There was no drinking water in all of the land. Still, Pharaoh did not let the people go. So Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. Seven days later, frogs covered the land of Egypt. Frogs, yes, frogs. The frog was a sacred animal to the Egyptians. It was a sign of fertility. So this was quite alarming to them. The frogs then began to die, creating huge, smelly heaps in houses and in fields. Ugh. And this time, Pharaoh was freaked out. And he said, I'll let the people go, but he did not. So again, Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. Without warning, all of the dust in the land turned to gnats. Imagine that for a minute. All the dust turned to gnats. And it covered all of the people and all of the animals in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, he's stubborn. He still did not let the people go. So again, Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. In the morning, flies began to fill the houses and and swarm all the land of Egypt. These were swarms of blood-sucking flies. At this time, the Israelites were protected and had no flies in their homes or in their, with them. So Pharaoh, he said, ooh, I'm going to let the people go. And suddenly divine removal of the flies occurred. Not even one single fly remained. But Pharaoh changed his mind once the flies were gone, and he did not let the people go. So again, Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. Then all of the livestock of the Egyptians died. Interestingly, the Israelites were again protected. Now, livestock was important to the Egyptians, especially bulls and cattle, because they were sacred. So this was costly to them. Pharaoh couldn't believe that the Israelites' livestock was spared. He sent people to check that fact, couldn't believe that they were spared. But even in that, he still did not let the people go. So Moses and Aaron consulted with God and got a new plan. With no warning, Moses threw a handful of soot in the air Suddenly, festering boils appeared on all the Egyptians and on all their animals. Pharaoh did not let the people go, even still. So again, Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. Then hail, hail, like never seen before or ever again, it struck down and killed most of the crops in the field. Things were ruined. Animals, trees, humans were affected. The Israelites, along with anyone who feared the Lord, which is interesting, could have been Egyptians. We're starting to believe here, friends. But the Israelites, along with anyone who feared the Lord, they were spared. Now, Pharaoh sought forgiveness this time, and he promised to let the Israelites go. But as soon as the hail stopped, he changed his mind again. So Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. The next day, locusts. They devoured every tree, every plant remaining in the region. So any crops that were remaining after the hail storm, gone. The locusts filled the houses. They covered the land. They ate every green leaf in sight, except where the Israelites were. 
And again, God spared them. Now Pharaoh, he asked for forgiveness. But he changed his mind and he did not let the people go. So again, Moses and Aaron consulted with God and received a new plan. Then without warning, darkness fell. It covered the whole land of Egypt for three full days. Except for the Israelites, they were once again protected. They had light in the midst of darkness. Now the Egyptians, they couldn't see their hands in front of their faces. And Pharaoh promised to let the Israelites go. But as soon as there was light again, he changed his mind again. This time, he was angry over it. He issued a death threat to Moses and Aaron. That didn't stop Moses and Aaron. They consulted with God and received a new plan. The last plague. Oh, it's a tough one. Every firstborn son and every firstborn cattle in Egypt died. The Israelites were protected. As the Egyptians realized that their firstborns were dead, they cried out. The firstborns were important in their culture, and this was more than the Pharaoh could handle. And he noticed the Israelites had been protected. He finally agreed to let the Israelites leave Egypt. He agreed. He didn't change his mind. And Moses and Aaron rejoiced with the Israelites. They commemorated this occasion by creating an annual Thanksgiving event. We know it as the Passover. Now, friend, there's so much to this story, and so much of it would have to wait for another chapter. But let's think about this from the perspective of the Israelites. Can you imagine being in their sandals as this was occurring? They would have had a front row seat to the first few plagues, watching the water turn to blood, watching the frogs cover the land, and the dust turn to blood-sucking gnats. Goodness! Already feeling tortured and worked to the bone, this might have been more than they felt that they could handle. It might have been more than they thought they could take. And just when they thought they could handle it, no more. God stepped in and protected them. God saw them. He heard them. He protected them. Okay, friend, imagine it for a moment. Imagine waking up one morning to see a dark, moving cloud engulfing the horizon. Hearing the buzzing sound coupled with cries of agony from afar, you and your neighbors creeping toward it. What is that? You're fearful of what it might be. You're afraid because of what you've already experienced. And as you got closer, the frenzy that you saw was because the buzzing insects were apparently biting every person or animal they came into contact with. The kids were crying. The adults were shouting. The animals were moaning and shrieking. And you turn and you run, hoping that you can get away fast enough. And as you run home, you realize that the flies are not following you. They're feasting on the Egyptians. They're not interested in you. Oh, how that news would spread. Oh, the relief. We're safe from the flies. We're safe from the flies. Thank you, God. And then when all the livestock in Egypt suddenly died, but your cow was still standing. We've been spared. We've been spared. Thank you. Thank you, God. And when the entire population of Egyptian people and animals suddenly broke out with festering, painful boils covering their entire body, And yet you and your kinsmen were untouched. Thank you. Thank you, God. And as the plagues progressed, crops were destroyed. Locusts devoured every green leaf as far as the eye could see, and darkness covered the region. 
except in Goshen and where the Israelites were. They were spared. Friend, how would you feel? How would you feel? Would you be elated? Would you be euphoric? Would you feel like you'd been rescued? Would you recognize that God, in all his glory, was protecting you in that very moment, in that very hour, in that very day? Would you see the hand of God in your life? How about the morning you woke up to screams heard across the region because every firstborn was dead? There's no coming back from that, friend. Every firstborn Egyptian was dead. Yet your family, your friends, your kinsmen, they had been spared. What about then? Would you know the power of God in that moment? Would you see it? Would you feel it? God was protecting you. God was keeping his promise to you, to all his people. When the cloud of grief and sadness and despair was overwhelming, Moses turned to God for answers. And God saved them, all of them. And there were a lot of them. If God could save them, then he can save you and me. In today's world, We can certainly identify with some tough yet similar circumstances. Thankfully, most of us have not had a front row seat for all of these, and they haven't happened all at once until really this year. But living through destructive tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, and a worldwide pandemic is not something any of us thought that we would experience. I think we can all agree. The world itself is falling apart. Race, religion, and politics are the headlines every single day. And it's not pretty. It's heavy. It's heartbreaking. It creates anxiety and allows depression to fester. But here's what I know, and here comes a fill-in-the-blank, friend. Here is what I know. The same God that protected the Israelites will protect you too. The same God that protected the Israelites will protect you too. God gave the Israelites an exit plan. He can do that for you too. No matter the circumstance, no matter the trials of life, our God is more powerful than any obstacle we are facing. He can get us through it. Now, as you may already know, for the Israelites, this was not the end of their story. That crazy, evil Pharaoh, he literally chased after them into the wilderness. He changed his mind. The story really is something, and it's yet another beautiful picture of God protecting his people in the midst of a major trial. Now, side note, according to Exodus 12, 37, when the Israelites finally left Egypt on their journey toward the promised land, there were over 600,000 men, plus women and children. That is a lot of people to save during the plagues and to get out of Egypt. But God did it. And then further down the timeline, many years later, God did indeed fulfill the Abrahamic covenant in full. Again, it's another beautiful story of redemption, but a story for another day. The point of this chapter was to identify with the concept of depression, how we often get there, how it feels, and what we can do once we realize that we're living in a depressed moment or time. Here is what I know, and this is a fill-in-the-blank for you. Just as God fulfilled all his promises to the Israelites, he continues to fulfill his promises to you and me. I must say it again. Just as God fulfilled 
all his promises to the Israelites. He continues to fulfill his promises to you and me. He promised to send his only son to death on a cross as payment for mine and your sins. All of your sins can be forgiven. You can be set free from the oppression you feel. You only need to acknowledge the sin in your life, seek forgiveness, and claim the redemption that Jesus offers. For times when we feel overcome with depression, loneliness, or sadness, you have to remember, God is sitting in the muck with you. He's ready to defend you. He's ready to lift you out and to carry you to safety. Just lean into him. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. And I've put that in your notes, friend, because I want you to remember it. He will never leave you or forsake you. Each time Moses faced rejection and depression, and there's a fill in the blank, he went to the Lord. Each time he faced rejection and depression, he went to the Lord. Each time he sought the Lord, God rewarded Moses with insight, a plan, and protection. I'll say that one again. Each time he sought the Lord, God rewarded Moses with insight, a plan, and protection. Oh, May we learn to do the same. May we learn to seek God's reassurances when we face the oppressive fog of depression. But what does that look like? Well, I have some suggestions for you. Number one, prayer is the starting point. Prayer, that's a fill in the blank. Prayer is the starting point, friend. Again, your prayers don't have to be eloquent. They need to be humble and honest. God already knows your heart. Just speak to him openly and lay all of your burdens at his feet. It is amazing how much better you will feel after praying or writing your thoughts to God. Number two, turning to scripture. Scriptures are fill in the blank. Turning to scripture for words of encouragement is also a favorite when faced with moments of sadness or depression. Again, choosing a verse or two that are meaningful to you, well, just write them on an index card or a sticky note and then put those notes on your bathroom mirror or in your car dashboard near your kitchen sink, anywhere that you will see it on a regular basis. Let that be an encouragement to you. God often speaks to your heart in those quiet moments of reflection. Last, third, tell someone what you're going through and someone is your fill in the blank. Tell someone what you are going through. Don't isolate yourself in times of trouble. Matthew 18.20 says, and I've put this in your notes, Jesus says, For where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Having a friend or two that you can go to for community, counsel, and prayer, oh, it is priceless. Now, being in part of the study, it's a great start. So let me ask you this. What are you facing today? How can I be praying for you? And I've put this in your notes, but if you're listening to this podcast and would like to connect with me or submit a confidential prayer request, you can email me at tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Just spell out truth plus grace. And for daily encouragement through scripture, you can follow Truth Plus Grace on either Instagram or Facebook. I put daily encouraging scriptures up every day. And thirdly, we're looking for ways to connect as a community of people going through this particular study together. More information will be emailed out to you soon, so make sure you're on my email list. Again, tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Please stay tuned. 
I'm so thankful that we're on this journey together, friend, and this is just the beginning. Let us remember to lean into God. Lean in, and we'll go to the Lord now in prayer. Join me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, for this example. Lord, we can identify with those Israelites in so, so many ways. Lord, on those days that feel dark and heavy and oppressive, let us remember that we can do what Moses did. We can go to you. We can seek your counsel. We can seek your protection, Lord. We thank you for the promises that you have made. We thank you that you are a mighty God, capable and willing to pull us out of any any um, oppressive matter that we're dealing with. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've provided for us. Watch over these people as we work through our week. It's in Jesus' precious name we thank you and we pray to you now. Amen.